Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with science writer and reporter Eric Vance. There is a shorter produced version of this, as always, wherever you found this podcast. Good afternoon and welcome to the Pulitzer Center's annual conference. This year we're focused on the theme of religion, as you may have gathered by now. Um, thanks to every, all of you for being here today um, for these conversations. I'm Natalie Applewhite. I'm the managing director of the Pulitzer Center. Um, and we have a really exciting program ahead today. This is a first for us. Um, a live taping of the award-winning national show and podcast, On Being with Krista Tippett, which is produced by the On Being Project and distributed to public radio stations by PRX. Krista will be joined by award-winning writer and Pulitzer Center grantee, Eric Vance. Um, and we also hope you'll join the conversation and extend the impact by sharing your thoughts and ideas with us on Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag Pulitzer Beyond Religion. And please make sure to follow us more generally across the social media channels at Pulitzer Center. For those of you who are new to the Pulitzer Center, we're a nonprofit journalism and education organization based here in Washington, D.C., we partner with journalists and newsrooms to support in-depth reporting around the world, now resulting in over 150 projects a year. Our journalism appears in major news media outlets across the country, reaching millions on the most critical issues of our time. We also believe that education is as important to our mission as the journalism that we support. And in an effort to build a better informed public and rebuild trust in journalism, we bring our journalists and their stories out into classrooms across the country and in public events like these. We believe in creating a new generation of informed citizens and news consumers. And we welcome your support in our journey um, so we can further our important mission. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our email newsletter. It's the best way to find out about events like this um, and also more intimate conversations that happen with our journalists throughout the year. And wasting no time, this Monday, some of you may have heard this already. I apologize if this is repeating. Um, but we have a very special screening. It's a, a US premiere of the Bally Murphy Precedent, um, which is a film by award-winning filmmaker Callum McRae. Um, and it's, it's looking, it's a really searing investigation into the killings of 10 unarmed Catholics in 1971. And that'll be at the E Street Cinema. So we hope you can join us for that. It's free. And there'll be a little reception at the end of that. Um, Oh, and also, please be sure to join us tomorrow morning if you are a fan of Krista Tippett. She will be also <laughs> conducting um, a workshop in conversation with Tom Jelton and one of our freelance journalists, Kritika Varagor. And that'll be followed by a session by Dahlia Mogahed um, and Kat Copland from the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. And that the registration starts at 8.30 tomorrow and the program starts at 9.00. Um, so thank you again for joining us and to Krista Tippett and her team um, for being part of the conference this year. We're truly honored and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie. And um, we're so happy to be here. I am here with my colleagues, um, Zach Rose and Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz and Sari Grassley, who we stole from NPR. <laughs> 
happy to claim her. Um, and I'm very happy to be here with Eric Vance. I, uh, and so let me tell you, say, we're going to... Um, we're going to speak up here for about 45 minutes, 50 minutes, and then we are actually going to open this up to the room. Or are there cards on the... Sorry, we didn't go over this. And should... W- w- Ten minutes before, at some point, I will um, invite you to to send up your questions, and then we'll have a conversation, all of us, and then pull back up here for the last ten or fifteen minutes to close out the conversation as we are taping this for possible broadcast. So, um, Eric, the um, you, the question I uh, often ask uh, whoever I'm interviewing is about the religious background of someone's childhood, how you would describe that, and. And your um, the religious background of your childhood is very um, intricately interwoven with a, a lot of the science writing you've been done, and certainly the research behind your book, um, Suggestible You. So, yeah, if I just if I just ask you to start talking about the religious background of your childhood, how you describe that now? Um, sure. So I was raised in Christian Science. I don't know how many here are familiar with Christian Science. Um, it's it's famous for um, being a faith healing religion, and Christian Science, you know, don't go to doctors. That's sort of what they're known for. Um, it's it's an interesting faith. Um, it is Christian. I, you know, we studied the Bible. Uh, we just also studied uh, a book called um, Science and Health by Mary Baker Eddy, who started the religion. And it, it, when I describe Christian science, uh, I know I'll probably offend Christian science by doing this, but this is the way I've always considered it, is it's kind of like the movie The Matrix. Mm-hmm. If you ever saw The Matrix, where basically everything you see, it it doesn't really exist. You know, the, the world is sort of a mental construct. Now, that's not a a terribly new idea. I mean, you look at the Gnostics, the ancient Gnostics, or the Sufis. Like, there's a lot of people over the course of human history who have, a lot of mystics have sort of had this idea that um, that the uh, that the world doesn't really exist. It's a construct in your mind. But um, uh, a, lot, if, a lot of physicists talk that way these days yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting how that works. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just uh, um, it's an, if you take it to its logical um, uh, conclusion then why bother going to a doctor when you can mm-hmm. just fix it with your mind? And it isn't, so um, there is, you know, I, I think as you say, there's this simplistic idea that Christian science, Christian scientists don't go to the doctor, mm-hmm. but there is very much, and I really got this from your writing, a culture of healing, right? yes. a practice of healing. And the way I understood it, and tell me if this is correct, is that what you're just, what you're talking about is this, that there is health and there is wholeness. Yeah. And that it's this is about living into that truer reality. Well, and this that's yeah, it's very true. Um and if you read my book what you'll learn is this actually does work. Now there are limits to it, but it I mean and this this is a, a theme I saw throughout working on this book and, and in my career is people are not crazy. People don't do irrational things. And stepping on the outside, it might look odd or crazy, but if you, if you get inside and really get to know the people involved, people aren't crazy. Christian scientists aren't crazy. They are acting in a way that is the, um, that is in the, they believe in the best interest of their children and themselves. It is the best pathway to health. And what I saw growing up is that, is that these things did work. I mean, obviously I believed it. I was, I was in, uh, very passionate for a number of years. And, um, and it, 
it did work. I saw healings happen. So mm-hmm. as when after I got out of the religion, um, well, tell me. So you went to the doctor for the first time when you were eighteen. Yeah, when I was right? eighteen. Tell me about that. What was that like? <laughs> well, uh, I was not a good patient. Some of you guys probably know that um, your experience with the doctor is only as good as the as the patient is willing to be. You know, to working with them. Um, I didn't really know how to give information to the doctor. I uh, I had these horrible stomach pains, mm-hmm. and um, and I uh, I was you know in a great amount of pain. And I went to the doctor, and he sort of felt around on my stomach like some sort of like witch doctor, which I now know he was checking my appendix. You know, he was looking for gallstones, um, but uh, but uh, he just sort of felt my stomach, and then he said, "Oh, it's growing pains." And go on your way. Oh, no. I, was like, yeah. I have not been missing anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> if that's it, they feel your stomach and tell you it's growing. Yeah, right. I didn't tell them that I had been in Mexico the year before. I didn't understand like the cycles of parasites right. and how that works. Clearly, I had some sort of parasite um, that hung around for another couple of years until I, uh, for another reason, took a bunch of antibiotics and it went away. Um, but uh, I mean, that was kind of on me. I didn't really understand that what I had done a year before could. Um, could be relevant, but I just remember walking around being like, wow, these guys are all quacks. Like, I am <laughs> glad I have not been going to these guys for 20 years. Oh, that's funny. Um, but did you feel, did it feel transgressive to you, having never gone and thought for, m- for your, much of your life up to then that you never would go to a doctor? Um, I think at that point I was really questioning a lot. Um, you know, I, I sort of broke away slowly. Um, I... I got very passionate about rock climbing, and then I got very defensive of my Sunday mornings um, mm. when I was rock climbing, so I wasn't as likely to go to school. I would go to a Sunday school um, or church. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 Christian science requires you to be 100% in. That's one interesting thing about it. It's like people who are into it, like, you, you don't... There are people who go just every now and again, but for the most part, if you're a serious Christian scientist, you're in. I mean, you're mm. not going to doctors. Yeah. So um, I wasn't really willing to do that. And at that point, I was ready to try something new. That That is one of the tricky parts of Christian science is there is sort of a culture of, uh, I've noticed, of sort of condemnation if you do go to doctors. And there's actually nothing technically against going to a doctor if you're in the religion. But um, there is sort of the peer pressure element right. of that. And so I did feel, well, I mean... I was I was a teenager, so I didn't really, you yeah. know, peer pressure from the people at church was not my An active concern. rebellion felt yeah. natural. Um, uh, so, yeah, you studied biology. You got into your rock climbing. You became a rock climbing guide, an environmental consultant, an environmental educator, a jur- and a science journalist. And, um, and you've been all over the world. And, and then it seems like you... I, I, I wonder if this is true. It feels like you... This this question in you was always there, um, which is in the reporting behind suggest, suggestible you, which was you know as you said people you you never you didn't come out of this thinking people are lying or they're fooling themselves, but there's something happening, something else happening, and you wanted to know what that something else is. Yeah, um, I mean that's the thing is. Um you can tell yourself whatever you want, but uh, I mean, if you if you've been in a faith healing community long enough, you have had healing. I mean, you've had a pain or some sort of condition that went away when you changed your your mindset around something, and that you can't ignore that. So um, rather than trying to look for reasons why that might not have happened, uh, I got interested in why that might have happened. You know, mm-hmm. what might actually explain that? And, and it actually came about, I was at a, a, a brain mapping conference, um, and one of the keynote speakers um, uh, 
was a, a name. I, his name was Tor Wager, and it's an unusual name. Also turned out to be a Christian scientist. Former Christian scientist yeah. who I recognized. I actually recognized <laughs> yeah. him uh, from... Did you uh, go to the same college? Yeah, I went to the yeah. same college. And I, was, and I was like, wow, that's weird. And he was giving a talk on placebos. And, and it was a little light went off. And I was like, whoa, that, you know, that... And it's a little like, I would say it's a little like... Um, a uh, like a former Catholic <laughs> studying the you know the the brain circuitry around guilt, you know I mean it's right. it's hard to ignore this like once you know once you get this question and you've grown up with this it's very hard to s- not to be you know wondering what the mechanisms might be yeah in what you've seen um, and so I I was hooked you know I did yeah. a story about him and then I just kept trying to do more stories about um, this phenomena. So you have um, likened brain scientists to to um, modern day analogs of what Copernicus did in terms of pulling back the veil of pulling back the curtain on on a fuller reality and and a and a big piece of this that you focus on are the mechanisms and intricacy of what we call the placebo effect and you know how many times have any of us heard the phrase it's just the placebo effect, right? right? Yeah. And in fact, um, it's a cornerstone of the modern pharmaceutical industry. Even the medications that work, there's some kind of placebo effect going on in terms of how quickly we feel they work. And this is this huge, it masks, the, the way we've talked about placebo and treated it masks this this huge story we haven't told about ourselves and about reality. You're absolutely right. I mean, when you think about like uh, modern medicine, what is modern medicine? Modern medicine is something that can outperform a placebo, and it's not that old. It, 1962, I think, is when the U.S. Uh, made. Um, That's the definition of a drug that works. Right. Exactly. That that yeah. is, and before that, I mean, we don't really consider that evidence-based medicine. So the fundamental, the foundation of 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 what we consider medicine is: is it better than your own mind? Which is kind of nuts. Which it and, often isn't. Which it often isn't, especially. Right. And, and what I've learned, and what's interesting about placebo is that it does not affect everything equally. Uh, things like pain, irritable bowel syndrome, Parkinson's disease, um, uh, anxiety and depression, uh, some autoimmune diseases, and maybe addiction, depending on how you work on that. That's a little harder to study. Like these things, you know, have these very high placebo rates. But you look at something like uh, autism or uh, OCD, There's, uh, they have very low placebo mm-hmm. response. I also read Alzheimer's has a low, and there is yes. there some suggestion that whatever, and we there's so much we still don't understand yes. about placebo, but whatever the trigger is, that those conditions might also be affecting whatever that trigger is right. in the brain. Right, and, and, and uh, Alzheimer's is a good one. Autism is actually very complicated because there's something called a secondary placebo where you give someone else a placebo effect. But um, uh, yeah, Alzheimer's is another one. And, and and it's not clear why, but it placebos. One of the things they do is they tap into the the um, the drugs you already have inside your head, right? And those aren't universal. So there's some conditions where you just don't have any tools inside your head to address those things. Cancer is another one. You can't just think away a tumor. The unfortunate thing is you can. Be, you, you can be very effective against the symptoms of cancer. So it feels like the cancer is going away. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, we don't have the tools. Your brain can't, you know, pull away um, the tumor, but it can have 
dramatic effects on things like pain and, and, and Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that there are rules to it, actually I find much more compelling because now it's something we can study, something we can understand. And it doesn't have to be this big black box. And um, you know, when they first started doing placebo-controlled trials, they, um, you know, they, they got rid of a thousand drugs that they were using, which is, back then was a lot. Um, uh, that they thought worked and could not outperform the placebo effect. Uh-huh. So, I mean, so let's, I think the language, we, we really, ha- I, I think actually we need to get rid of the word because it has this just association. Right. So let's talk about what you've learned about what the placebo effect is. I mean, there is this language of it's the brain's pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, is that, I mean, somewhere you said endorphins are little opium dens tucked away in our brains. <laughs> Um, is but but it's actually uh, I mean you go you you've you've gone into much greater detail about about what that means and um, something you talk about is uh, that is core to understanding this is that is that the brain is at its core a prediction machine so explain what that has to do with this reaction of ours or well, this, this capacity. This is a great, it's a great uh, segue, and this, this is a really important point. Um, if, if you boil down what your brain does to a single idea, and this isn't coming from me, this is, I know everyone is like, oh, your brain is this, this. I mean, this is fundamentally what a brain is, you know, based on uh, artificial intelligence going, you know, going back 50 years. It is a prediction machine. Everything your brain does, it takes the past, it applies to the present to predict the future, and it does it in small ways. It's, it's basically creating a map of how the world works based on the experiences that happen to it. And if you watch a little baby crawling around, they're like figuring this stuff, this stuff out. They're like, you know, oh, wow, gravity. Like, that's painful if you're not careful. And that's, you know, your brain learns from that, and then it learns, you know, where it can step and where it can't step. And mm-hmm. everywhere along the line, your brain is taking these observations and turning them into predictions that it uses to map the world. So... When you give someone a sugar pill and you say, this is going to take away your pain, and, it's, and, it, and you lie to them and your brain has an expectation, it's not a circus trick. This isn't some little, like, you know, um, clever trick that you can do. This is getting down to the very fundamental role that your brain has. And when you take uh, that pill, and, if, if, and this doesn't happen to everyone, but if, it ha- if, you, if your pain goes away, um, it's partly because your brain has an expectation uh, and these are an, are an expectancy, as as, um, as psychologists call them, that uh, that when you take a pill, your pain goes away. And sometimes it's easier for your brain to change reality than it is to change an expectation, um, because it's it it think of your brain as like a bureaucrat who's like, you know, look, I, I punch this paper and I get the paper. That's what I do. And you give me the pill, and the pain goes away. And if it doesn't happen, I'm just going to make the pain go away rather Myself. than question why it didn't work. I'm just like, I, I have one job, and that's what I do. And it's kind of how it is. It, mm-hmm. It's very hard to break these expectations. And so mm-hmm. the placebo effect is basically taking advantage of this fact that your brain doesn't want to divert from what it expects. There's also some interesting story about the fact that if – if you see a phys- if people see a physician administer pain medication, they will respond better. To- that medication will work. Yeah. Whereas if you just load the medication into the IV and they don't see it administered, it it may not work at all. 
Yeah, that's um, and and that touches on something that actually is a new field of, of of study for for placebo, which is the social component of placebo and the storytelling. Also, and the storytelling. talk about because that that's also about the complexity of what it is to be human. That this yeah. is about biology. And it's about chemistry. And it's about storytelling. Well, I mean, think about uh, think about going into a doctor's office in some old warehouse, and he's wearing cutoff jeans and uh, and an undershirt, and he's got you know, and he like comes in and he's like smoking a cigarette and he tosses you some pills. Like, how well is that? Are those pills going to work on you? You know, the, we need to have uh, the theater around medicine, and we and people. It's been shown again and again that that people do get better um, when uh, when they walk into a hospital. Now, I don't think they've ever like confounded that around um, like Christian scientists because I think when Christian scientists go into hospitals they probably do a lot worse because they're usually very nervous and unhappy Right, right. Um, but like most people you go into a hospital and you're like okay like I'm going to get better and most people do get better as soon as they go in as soon as they you know whack your knee with the with a rubber hammer or whatever they do and this is um, this is this is part of the theater of medicine this is the white lab coat um, this is the um, I mean the white lab coat for example why why do you need that? I mean, people aren't splattering blood on them and themselves anymore. They need to see. Like, certainly hope not. Uh, but we that's why we have it, and that's something that we identify with getting better. Uh, and all the placebo scientists I work with, they always, you know, they stress the importance of the lab coat. And, and also, um, I mean, I talked to this one scientist who was studying placebos, and she couldn't get people to have them, which is a bad thing if you're studying placebos. Like, she gives someone a pill, and they're like, I don't feel any different, you know? It makes it hard to study the placebo effect. And her assistant was like having them left and right. Like people would take the pills. And what she realized was there was something wrong with the way she was interacting with her patients. Mm-hmm. In her case, she needed to be more confident, more eye contact, um, more authoritative. Now, in other people's cases, it's, you know, other doctors' cases, they need to maybe back off a little bit and maybe have a little bit of humanity and, you know, maybe, you know, touch your shoulder or something like that. But there is often things you can do to increase the power of the of the drugs you're taking, but also of the placebos you're giving out if that's what you're doing. And, and she actually learned to be a better placebo giver, and then she was able to do her work. Um, but that all that theater is really important, mm-hmm. and it's a huge part. It's the stories we tell ourselves. It's and about then, us. It's about us. Yeah. yeah. And, and in my book, I go into all these different cultures and the different stories, mm-hmm. how that changes mm-hmm. in different places and what other people find um, Interesting, and, and if you see the cover story we did on this in National Geographic a couple of years ago, the photographer Erica Larson went around the world and like photographed a lot of different contexts that were very you know, we wouldn't necessarily think of as uh, giving you, uh, you know, an expectation of healing, yeah. but it changes around the world quite a bit, and it's fascinating to do. And the the scope, I mean, the the magnitude of of how it can work is also very still very mysterious, right? I mean, there's, I mean, you said. You said no one can, you can't cure cancer, but certainly there's stories of, right? There's there are people walking around who had cancer and then didn't, and and then there's this guy who feels like he's this iconic figure in this field, Mike Politich. Oh yeah, <laughs> who had Parkinson's. I mean, this yeah. is a fascinating story that the scientist was that Alia. Uh, or who was I don't know who that scientist uh, was. No, that was uh, that was uh, her name was uh, uh, Kathleen Poston. So they were doing they were doing a study of a drug to work on Parkinson's. Yeah, and it failed miserably. It basically, it, the the results didn't look like the drug worked. But there was this one guy, Mike. Well, here's yeah, I'll um, uh, 
yeah, I mean, Mike's a really great example of, of yeah. just how powerful this can be and how this is this is not a parlor trick. Um, uh, so Mike, this is called Neurontin, and it was actually the second trial that they were doing, um, and the and the first trial had failed, and then the the and the second trial, um, basically they're they're drilling into your skull and they're going to be injecting this chemical into your substantia nigra, uh, which is where you generate. Um, Dopamine and uh, and um, Parkinson's disease is a chronic deficiency in dopamine, and so they're they trying to jumpstart your dopamine um, uh, um, processes, uh, and it had not done well, and um, and it happened. So dopamine is a is a um, it's a reward chemical. It's also involved in movement. It's one of these drugs. That it kind of does a lot. It has a lot of different like name tags, and uh, and um, it's. Uh, it's like it's a kind of a perfect placebo chemical because it's rewards, and so it's the the, the um, placebo effects are all over the place. It's very very hard to do uh, Parkinson's research because of the high placebo rates. So uh, they always do a, um, a, plus, a, a like what they call a sham surgery around a around a. Right, trial. that was astonishing to yeah. me too. This <laughs> isn't just about giving pills. It's about the people think they've been operated on. Yeah, so this is uh, basically you go in, the doctor doesn't know what he's giving you, like no one knows, and then you go in, the doctor gets a card, and it says, okay, we're doing the real surgery, and they do the surgery, which is two holes drilled into your skull. And the other one is, uh, okay, we're not doing it, and then they basically just do two divots. So it feels like you had uh, a surgery in your skull, but you didn't. Um, and this guy went in, and he basically, this changed his life. He went from... Um, having trouble walking and talking to, uh, I mean, I, I kid you not, he was hella skiing. He, he, he going up a helicopter and skiing out. He was, um, he was, uh, he did a half marathon. He climbed the backside of half dome. Mm-hmm. Like he just, it and, changed. And years later, he's. Well, two years later. So this was yeah. one of the longest trials. The problem with the first trial is they hadn't done it long enough and they mm-hmm. had this placebo effect that was still hanging on a year later. So like, okay, we're gonna go for two years. Yeah. No way placebo effect's gonna hang around for two years because they are famously short-lived. So, all right, two years, and two years later, um, they finally announced, and he was the one who I think his doctor, Kathleen, was like, we've cured Parkinson's. Like, this is it. This is amazing. And, uh, and, and two years later, they, un, they uh, unblind the, the, the trial, and the, the, the trial failed. And basically, that, 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 that chemical's not really being used anymore. The company went out of business, um, and uh, she was crushed because the, the cure to Parkinson's disease was right. lost. Right. And she was absolutely, you know, flabbergasted. And then she went through and, and looked at the unblinding, and he had gotten the placebo. He had gotten the, the, uh, the sham surgery. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, my question for you guys and for everyone is, would you have told him? No. <laughs> no. no. You're required by law to tell. We don't um, want him to read her book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. yeah. Um, but it's uh, these are um, when you have a process that that is susceptible to placebo. It's shocking. It's shocking what it does because um, your brain, uh, your, when your brain has access to like pain um, and a lot of the conditions, anxiety, depression, yeah. it can be uh, stunning. And this is why you don't see very many Parkinson's drugs. This is why it's so hard to get pain drugs on the market. This is this is not a problem that is new to pharmaceutical companies. They know about this. This is a huge issue with with um, big pharma. Yeah. So I said one thing you say is that you know bottom line, um, this is about the power of belief yeah. in our brains, in our bodies. 
It yeah. is, um, and I and I. It's interesting because uh, it, it is, but it's also with only. It's not unlimited. Um, yeah. I think uh, Alia Crum, one of the researchers, said it best. She said that I think the placebo effect is not unlimited. We just don't know where the limits are yet. Mm-hmm. Like we haven't figured out where it's appropriate, and where it's not appropriate. Um, you know, and and I think and 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 that that's there's some real lessons there because there are people who are trying to sell placebo cures to cancer patients and those mm-hmm. pe- I tell you right now those people are they're dying I mean I've mm-hmm. I've gone and done the the reporting and it, these stories would break your heart mm-hmm. about these people who are sold a bill of goods often very expensive bill of goods and uh and they end up going to the doctor months later um and uh you know and, and the placebo effect made their discomfort go away but uh, it's criminal. So, you, but so there are times when it's appropriate, and there's times mm-hmm. when there's not. I mean, if you have lower back pain, uh, placebos are a really interesting area to think about and to work and to work in. And, and I talked to a lot of pain doctors who, frankly, are desperate. Uh, again, I feel like the language is so off because because when we really, it's not that we want doctors to be using placebo it's that we want doctors to be get sophisticated about unlocking the power of our brains yeah doctors complain a lot about um the alternative medicine and you know and uh and uh, homeopathy and things like that and it's like you shouldn't be complaining about it you should be learning from it because these people are healing with nothing you know, like let's just be real. Like, you know, homeopathy is not well, no, nothing external, right? I mean, right. they're healing with something internal. But if you ever sit down is, with a homeopath, yeah. like they they spend so much time with you and and uh, and the theater around it. You know, I spend a lot of time yeah. with different shamans and different people and who you know who make this their their you know their whole world. And and you know, they're they're spraying me with like eucalyptus oil or something like that. But um, I mean, I smelled great when I walked out. But uh, um, but the time and the effort and the, and the theater that they put in yeah. is is really effective and it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's useful for healing people. It's also useful for conning people. But it's a very, very right. powerful... And it's been around forever. If you go back to the earliest mentions of, of, of medicine at all and the Egyptians and uh, um, and, the, and the, the Persians and the, the sort of the Middle Ages, this, was, this has always been around and people have talked about it. I mean, I feel like you also... We're describing that in a way in Christian science where you said there is a lot of healing going on all the time. And you, there's this place where you, you said, you know, the Christian science practitioners are always available on the other end of the phone. Yeah. And this is some lines from your book. I, and um, I can still hear her perfectly graveled alto on the other end of the phone, maternal, weathered, and as tough as nails, right? That yeah. doctor you trust. Um, Telling me that everything was going to be okay and that God loved me to this day, it's the most comforting voice I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, that's also tapping into that power. There's some, there's sophisticated intelligence there. Yeah. That was my, the, my practitioner, the, my childhood practitioner um, named Lamise Shearholtz. Uh, she's since passed, but um, she was this amazing, amazing woman who just, she just could heal you with her voice. Mm-hmm. And that is not something to shirk off, you know? I mean, it's something to be studied, no question, but it's also something to be respected. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, people, it's, it's hard to quantify the placebo effect. You know, people say, oh, it's 30%. Well, it vastly changes depending on the condition. But you, it's something you don't want to just throw away. And, it, and you know, um, 
That voice, yeah, I, I think she, I think she, I don't know if she worked on it, she practiced, <laughs> because it was just such a powerful thing. Yeah. And a good doctor can be like that, but, um, but it's, I don't think it's part of their training. You're lucky if you get one. Yeah. But it's not, it's not something that's necessarily encouraged. Mm-hmm. I really, I really love this, uh, this note, like invoking the theater. The th- I, I was actually, just, I just did an interview this week with Esther Perel. And she also talks about the theater of romance and relationship yeah. and the erotic and how that actually is so much more important than technique or performance. Well, you, I mean, <laughs> and this is another realm of technique well, and performance. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> you want to get into that? You got nope, a whole nope, other thing nope. on Viagra I, I can talk about. <laughs> so the last chapter in the book. Yeah. Um, uh, He's no. not, it really is. He's not kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think we are storytellers, right? I mean, like this yeah. is, I mean, and of course we, I say this because I'm a storyteller. So like it's, I'm a little biased, but, um, you know, your brain is trying to make sense of the world. Like that is fundamentally what it's doing. It's trying to make sense of the world so it doesn't get eaten by a lion, you know? And, and, uh, and part of that are these stories that, you know, and, 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 you know, pharmaceutical companies do the same thing. Like the placebo effect is the, is the, the worst enemy of the, of the pharmaceutical company right up until the point when it gets FDA approval. Then it becomes his, their best friend. And you see these like, you know, these advertisements. The ads like, on television, yeah, how, how wonderful your life will be once will you be. take this pill. Or like the, like the, the cartoon where like you're all red down here and then you take this pill and it like turns blue and it's like, oh, the magical yeah. soothing blue palettes that like somehow are released by the thing. And it's like, yeah. oh, it's just this, the blue soothing. But that's a story. That you're telling that you're you know like that there's some sort of release that's going to happen and then you feel better and that's and we wanted we want to see those stories and they want them to make sense mm-hmm. and that um, that to think that a placebo effect only happens when you take a sugar pill is naive because uh, they also happen when you take. Um, when you take uh, active medication, in fact, uh, Prozac probably would not outperform a placebo today. Now it did. Uh, in, the, in the early '90s, when it was when it was uh, when it passed FDA, but it probably would not today. Now, that's not to say that Prozac why, doesn't. Why? What? What's the difference between the early '90s and now? Well, you want my opinion? Or, yeah. No one knows. To be, to be like totally honest, I think that we have more of an expectation for um, for Prozac, or we you know SSRIs, or you know, we we know what we're expecting to get. Like the, even if you don't know the details about a drug, there's a there's a culture around that drug. And I think that has increased placebo effects. Placebo effects have also been observed to be going up generally. So why that is happening is kind of anyone's guess. So that we're actually, whereas that was kind of a new thing to talk about openly and treat 20 years ago, right? we're now more fluent in both uh, experiencing depression or anxiety or this, the things that SSRIs treat. Right. And also working on our contributing to our own healing. Right. And I mean, if, if you're, if you're dealing with that, um, with depression, like you'll be more likely to know at least something about yeah. what, you know, if you go into a trial and you're giving a pill and they're taking your vital signs, like, you know, we're not stupid. You know, you, you kind of know what to expect now. Um, you know, years ago, uh, that, um, that's the only explanation that makes any sense to me. There are some other explanations and, and there are, um, there are some real questions around this that, that I think are worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry obviously is not going to do that because 
they've already once you've passed you know FDA approval, you don't have to go re like re up. <laughs> like they're out, it's out there. Mm-hmm. No need to ask questions, but it does raise some really interesting questions. There are also some placebo effects that are more powerful than others. So you can jack up the placebo effect if you want. Um, one of one is a, a an active placebo, and that would be a. a pill that doesn't make you better, but it makes your fingers tingle or something like that. And that, you know, you're like, ooh, it's, it's doing something. I can feel it. And then the placebo effect goes through the roof. Another one would be any time when you are uh, in a group. Or it doesn't even have to be a real group. It can be an imaginary group. There's some really great research where they lie to people and tell them that certain other people who aren't in the room but they exist on a screen rated this pain as really, really low. You know, you, you know, and they shock you and they say, okay, you know, or they give you heat pain, and they're like, okay, you know, tell me how much it hurts. But, you know, just so you know, everyone else said that it didn't hurt very much. But be honest, you know, just, just, uh, just know that, you know, you're the only one who would think it was painful. And, uh, and what was interesting is people obviously rated it lower, but um, looking at skin con- uh, conductivity, they actually found that people were experiencing less pain. Um, so you can actually look at the body's response to right. that. And they're actually, it's not that they're saying they're having less pain. They're actually having less pain and, because and of that- these people who don't exist. And does that get back to when somebody has helped your body predict that there won't be pain? Uh, that seems to be related. Is that to, what that is? That no, that seems to be the social element of, of of placebo. Like there's this other when you're we are very social creatures, and actually you can you can take oxytocin or vasopressin, which are these two sort of their chemicals that are released mm-hmm. when we are around other people, right? And uh, love, love, love molecule. Yeah, love mm-hmm. molecule. And, it, and vasopressin in women and oxytocin in men, um, when you give them to people while they're having a placebo response, the placebo goes through the roof. Um, and they, they become much stronger. So, uh, and it's just basically the same thing that happens when you involve other people in the placebo, which a lot of placebos, a lot of religious ceremonies um, involve lots of people, like the touching mm-hmm. of hands in some mm-hmm. traditions. You know, everyone gets around you, they all touch you, they're speaking to you. It's, and you know, even, you know, even Christian science, when you're talking to your practitioner and there's something very, you're part of a group, that's a very important part of getting a really good placebo response. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've, I've heard physicians across the years speak about there's been such a big discussion within medicine about intake and kind of how you take someone's history and that um, the question of whether someone has a religious community does link to potential outcome. And it's about as much as anything else, it's about. and Matt, that 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 often comes with a certain kind of a qual- certain quality of community. I get I get really frustrated by that work. Actually, uh, I really wanted to include that in my book, um, and it's just that no one really breaks it down. They sort of like treat all uh, sort of the, of the um, religious experiences or you know participation the same. You know, as yeah. if you know between yeah. the person who's just sort of like right. going because the aunt you know Matilda said they had to, and then they have the you know Christian scientists who are you know really depending on on this to, to stay well, um, and those you know those are fundamentally different. Also, what's interesting about Christian science is Christian science believe that they have already been healed. In other religions, you are praying for a healing. But in Christian science, they believe that you already are healed. You just have to figure out how to see it. It's like Neo trying to look through the matrix and make sure to see how it actually works. And uh, and I would argue that that taps into expectation in a totally different way. Now, 
the, the studies that look at like well-being and, and religion don't really break out different religious traditions or, you know, it's very hard to, it's just sort of time in right, church. Right, And then prayer studies are very problematic right. as well. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very hard. I, I, yeah, and I agree. I mean, I was talking about a simple correlation, though, yeah. that, that why, it, that the reason, it was interesting, the reason a doctor might take seriously um, r- religious identity would not actually have to do with faith or belief, but about the power that we know is there f- of community. Yeah. Of, uh, and, and of course, your point is that that doesn't necessarily follow that every religious person has the same quality. No, of my, my point is like, I want to know more about it. Yeah. Like break it down. Like let's, let's yeah. dig in, you know? But you know <laughs> so, you know what I thought of though? Like, what, with the, how does that work? <laughs> the, I mean, there's so, there's so much going on here that's, that has so much resonance and relevance for other yeah. areas of our life together. Yeah. Um, what I thought of when I was, because what you said a minute ago about there is this, um, this idea that we are already healed, but we have to live into that. Right. We have to believe in it and, mm-hmm. and make it more true. Um, and I was actually thinking of um, social change makers. I was thinking about John Lewis talking about, <laughs> okay, here we go, uh, about, about during the civil rights movement, that that what they had to do mentally was to live as if, if yeah. right? Yeah. That the beloved community was there. It, it was the true reality and the true wholeness. And you had to act accordingly, even if what was in front of you didn't correspond to that reality. I mean, right? That, that's fundamentally That's a dynamic I, in human yeah. society. That's fundamentally what I was raised with, um, which uh-huh. is cool to talk about when you're in your 20s, but try explaining that to your classroom, like when you're in the second grade, show and tell. Like, oh yeah, none of this is real. You just, but we assume it's real. Right, <laughs> you know? right, like, right. But yeah, no, you're yeah. absolutely right. No, that's exactly um, the way to hack the brain, you know, is, is to live. Um, I mean, I, I see this a lot. In fact, I talked to one pain doctor. I mean, the, the place to really understand this, I think, the best is with chronic pain, which is a huge problem in our country by itself, but it also is the the foundation of the opioid crisis. You know, and understanding uh, most of these opioid, opioid addiction, a lot of it comes from prescription drugs related to chronic pain. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and pain doctors are really struggling with how to, how to treat pain that doesn't involve, you know, filling people up with opioids. And, uh, and one of the doctors, you know, the world respect, world renowned researcher who was, I think, established enough in his position to be honest with me said, look, I'm, you know, I'm lucky if I can help 40% of my, of my patients. I mean, if I'm a baseball player, I'd be making millions, but as a doctor, that's not a great number. And he's one who actually says, he recommends his patients, like, if you're a lapsed Catholic, go back to church. Like, try it. Because first of all, he, you know, he, he, uh, he's looking for anything. But second of all, he wants to create a sense, even if they're continuing treatment with him, that good things are coming. That, you know, that mm-hmm. there is... You know, there is an order. There's that like prediction expectation again. And just, you know, and just going back to church and feeling like they're, you know, getting some sort of sense that this, that this, that this will go away, that good things are coming, like Mm -hmm. is, is, um, the first step for him. I mean, and he's, you know, he's willing to try anything to give relief to his patients because it's very, very tough. And there's a whole theory around, um, around pain that says, uh, that chronic pain isn't really something wrong with you. It's just 
the chemicals in your brain haven't been set to the right levels. And, and then it's a matter of, so we're all in pain right now from whatever injuries we've ever had. It's just that your brain has set the levels of its own endogenous opioids to, to a point where you don't feel it anymore, which is, will mess with your head. I promise you, if you think about it long enough, that will mess with your head. Uh, but it is sort of the sense of like, look, you know, you're not trying to get rid of something. You're just trying to reset the levels. And, um, and that's within us all. And, yeah. um, and so trying to fix the knee or do something, uh, inject something that will, that will you know, make the pain go away, well, we have it in us, in theory, to be free of it right away. You just have to figure out how to convince your brain to do it. Yeah. I will say, something I noticed, because I was, I was reading um, articles that have been written about your work and interviews you've given, and I, I noticed that, that there was still this kind of dismissiveness and defensiveness in the science journals, right? Yeah. Or in the hip, like New York Magazine, um, what they picked up on was, and we haven't talked about this, and we probably should, the nocebo, right. which, it, which is actually the same, it's that same power of belief. It's the, it's the dark side of that, which is the power of fear. Right. And that, I mean, that also, talk about something that has relevance in all kinds of things about our life together these days and in the world. Um, so they picked up on that, mass hysteria yeah. caused yeah. by our brains. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, t- the subtitle was how the mind and body continually twist and shape our realities. Yeah. And the Scientific American podcast interviewed you and the title was Your Brain is So Easily Fooled. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and National Geographic, here's what placebos can heal and what they can't. That, yeah, he was very hung up on that. I mean, because it's, you know... It is, there's this desire to sort of like put limits on it. And I think it's important uh, to put limits on it. But yeah, uh, it's worth mentioning nocebos are actually probably more powerful than placebos. Mm -hmm. All the evidence we have is that, is that they, they're easier to create and they last longer. Mm -hmm. We'll say a little bit about nocebos. So nocebo is a, is a, it's a, um, think of it as, uh, you know, if a placebo is, this will make your pain go away. (laughs) Think of nocebo as, this is really going to hurt. You know, like I'm going to do this thing. It's really going to hurt. You ready? It's really, really going to hurt. Like that, I mean, you can sort of feel just even my, my saying that, like that there's this. Um, it will hurt. It will hurt. It will and, really and hurt. These studies that they do, you know, basically a lot of them are give someone pain and then depending on the story you tell them, rates, you know, that pain is higher or lower than what someone would have. They didn't have any story. That's a lot of the placebo research, the way it goes. And that higher pain is the nocebo. And that applies to a lot of other different things in in the world now um they're hard to study because you can't you can't go to a parkinson's patient and give them a pill and say this is going to make your parkinson's worse like that that no one should ever do that you know you can't go to someone who has depression and they, give them a you, pill but you couldn't do it because it would be dangerous it would be, it would be totally unethical there's yeah. a, so there but there's a way in which we acknowledge the power of this but only in the negative sense right, right? yeah exactly i mean like it's there's no if you try to go and get a, 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 a an experiment um, certify where, you know, you said, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to tell people that their Parkinson's, this will make it worse. First of all, I wouldn't take it. Second of all, um, you know, you, 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 that, you know, that would be so unethical because you would make their Parkinson's worse. Mm-hmm. Like their, their brains are responsive to mm-hmm. this. And, uh, and just that fact that reality should be enough for, to, to sell you guys on the, the power of this because you, uh, you can't. So this is where you take that, you take that, uh, that desire our brains have to be predicting mm-hmm. and preparing, and you turn it and you you channel it into fear. Right. And there's and you say there is nothing 
more powerful that yeah. happens in our brains and bodies than fear. I mean, you tell this interesting story about how you ran up against this in yourself when you had to vaccinate your baby. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a science writer. I've written, I've seen the data. I've written about autism and and I've written about vaccinations. There is no connection. I, I've seen it, but when you when that guy pulls out that big old needle and comes after your kid, you don't rational like rational thought is not what's happening. Like and and I was worried about, you know, autism with my kid. And that the the science writer part of my brain was so embarrassed about the rest of my brain. Like, <laughs> I don't know this guy. I'm not here. I don't know where this guy came from. Right. <laughs> and uh and so rather than not tell anyone, I decided to write a story for NPR about it, which May or may not have been a good idea, but um, but the point is not you know like do you know is autism a thing? Like the point is like the power of fear. Yeah, and that's uh, you know and and that's for a science writer. You know, like yeah. it. I understand fully why the um, th- anything with with your kids is um, you know why there's so much fear around you know not just uh, vaccinations but a lot of things with your kids because it's oh. powerful. It's powerful mm-hmm. and. And if you think about it, it's, it, from an evolutionary perspective, it makes sense. Like, you know, which is a more important, uh, you know, feeling to have as to when we're surviving in the in the forest? Like fear or, you know, hope and optimism, <laughs> right. you know? Right. Like probably yeah. the fear yeah. because that'll keep you from getting eaten by the lion. Um, yeah. So it's, it's uh, it is, it makes sense why it's more powerful, but it's definitely... And, and, the, and acknowledging this, I think acknowledging this the, 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 is, is the most important thing, understanding that these, these things exist and that none of us are immune to them. I mm-hmm. can't stand when people say, oh, mm-hmm. look, I, I'm not a sucker, but echinacea really works. It's like, well, you know, you are a sucker, but so am I. We're all suckers, like every one of yeah. us. And, you know, echinacea, if it works for you, I'm not going to say anything. Well, <laughs> well, and I also think um, taking seriously the power of fear um, is really important. I mean, I, I was um, at Stanford earlier this year and, and had a conversation with some physicians some mm-hmm. in the medical school, and they're working with young residents who um, sometimes end up counseling uh, parents who don't want to vaccinate their child, right? And the conversation we were having was about, was very pragmatic. It was It was about how can that be a fruitful, productive conversation? Right. And the fact is that that the young residents, as I was hearing, often went into that really dismissive of the fear, yeah. annoyed with it, kind of like you were annoyed and like embarrassed by it, annoyed like you were. In, it sounds like when you were there in the doctor's office, you were, these warring parts of your right. brain were having yeah, this absolutely. fight. Um, and yet, to and and i think this would that we would be we would be applying our more complex intelligence it, from what we're learning through science about ourselves and our fellow humans to not to honor the irrationality but to honor the fear because the, right the only way because actually what happened like in that, that. room wasn't like that. that true that the doctor i'm remembering it now that he he said at some point, I think I wrote this down. Maybe you need a lollipop, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, the doctor couldn't figure out why I was so upset, so right. I was like, "Does Daddy need a lollipop?" Does Daddy? You know? but, <laughs> see, but honestly, that was quite right. That's actually what's needed. Yeah. When we're dealing with something that is about our humanity, uh, like it or not, attractive or not, um, 
that we deal at a human level with each other. I think in, in all of this, what is needed is empathy, is understanding that if someone's, you know, if someone gets healing power from homeopathy, you know, or if someone's struggling with, you know, uh, I mean, with depression, in all of these cases, understanding having empathy for where someone's coming from and why they're having that experience and, and that that experience is totally valid and that people are not crazy. You know, like people act rationally. Um, that's the, the lesson that I keep taking again and again. And I, I think the great thing about placebos and nocebos is if we can all get on the same page and say, okay, this is what's happening, then, you know, if this is something that's being controlled by God, if this is something that, you know, um, if this is, if this is something that, you know, Henneman predicted, you know, however you want to explain that, as long as we can use the same language mm -hmm. and understand that we're talking about the same thing, I think we can all start at least coming, you know, at least finding some bridges to bridge the gap. And if you guys haven't been on Twitter and seen the wars between sort of rationalists and people who are, you know, alternative medicine people, like, they're not nice. And and I hope I never have to read another one of twi Twitter back and forth. I always, I always read them anyway, so I don't even want to say that. Um, uh, but if we can use the same language and understand that the people's experiences, uh, they are real and that we're having these experiences. And frankly, if you can rub a crystal on your, you know, on your arm and have pain go away, you are the lucky one. Like your, your rational friend who doesn't have any of these you're, things work for you're them. You're better at unlocking your brain's pharmacy. Yeah. For and you have a tool that they don't, you know, yeah. like it, yeah, you have that capability to unlock the, the, the drugs that are already in your brain. And, and you can do something other people can't. Like that is, yeah. give me the choice. I would much rather uh, be that person. And if you read the book, I do have a section where I talk about like... Then just stay in pain. Yeah, then just stay in pain and be, and be right. You right. know, like that right. doesn't... <laughs> That doesn't help. Right. Uh, and, I, and there's a big question around, like, you know, can, are there certain people who are more prone than others? And that's actually an, an, an enduring question. That, that seems can... like such a really interesting question, right? Really that's, the, question. that's the question for the, that's the frontier, yeah. how, how to. Yeah. Um, okay, I... let's do questions. Yes. Oh, oh, you haven't written it down. Okay. <laughs> write your question really quickly. <laughs> um, and on the car, yes, you... If there weren't cards over here, do we have some extra cards? Lily, do we have any do we have any extra cards for okay. Why don't you raise your hand if you want a card? Okay. I should take this chance to um to actually say if you guys want to read the whole book, uh it is on sale at um uh well I think uh it's out at the registration booth and I think I'll probably have to I don't know how we're going to sell them, but if you're interested, uh, I'm happy to sell you some. I have, I have an extra box, and, and I'd love for you guys to read it and, and check them out. Um, and I can do probably PayPal or, or Venmo. Oh, you have some. It's great. It's a great yeah. book. Yeah. yeah. I have a few books. Um, so I'll just do a, uh, we'll just do another question or two. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've also been thinking in another context, but it's relevant to this about uh, – um, so I was speaking with Paul Hawken, who's a um, he's in the in the climate science yeah. world, and one of the things he we discussed is that um, the way he says it is that we well like okay this thing that you said if you go to the doctor and the doctor says you are really sick right you're going to be sicker tomorrow and can I tell you how bad it's going to be <laughs> 30 right. years from now which your brain can't comprehend um, yeah. 
So he said, you know, we've got the science right, but we haven't gotten the psychology right. Yeah, yeah. So this fear, this not because the thing about fear is it can of it can of course cause you to strike out, but the other thing fear does is it shuts you down. Yeah. I mean, how, how many times, uh, you know, if you to say that doctors gave me like two months to live, three months to live, doctors don't do that. <laughs> like that's not like, you know, like, and asking them how much time you've got left to live, like it's, it's really not a, a, a thing, but people will clamp onto that. So, um, doctors need to get better at this. And I would actually like to see every resident have to give out placebo pills to patients just to see if they can get better at getting a placebo response. Like, what do you have to do to make people respond to you better? Like, are, how are you communicating when you're giving someone a pill? And when you don't have the power of an actual drug, can you still pull it off? And a lot of doctors, I guarantee you, can't. So I think, I think it's, a great, it's a great thought experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably a really mean way to finish medical school. <laughs> but, but I mean, it also sounds like um, from the science and the research you did that, that the drugs that work are going to work better. Yes, absolutely. Right? That, I mean, it's not just that nothing works. It's on it? top. Like this is, this is not like, oh, all of these drugs that, that, that pass the FDA like are effective and it's, it's simply, you know, it's simply the drug that's healing you and all the ones that don't, you know, are just worthless. Like every drug you take has an added placebo effect and you can take that off. You can, I mean, and you can, you can actually, there's, there's drugs you can take that will make placebo effects for pain go away. And you can see the relationship, uh, between, um, with a placebo effect and without, and, and every drug has a placebo effect in addition. And that's why drug makers try to bolster it with their advertising. Like, um, so, you know, I, I feel like, um, you you could obviously say th- that um, Christian science, for example, but other aspects of religion, as you say, there's many ways in which religions, with through rituals and mm-hmm. through healers. I mean, this is the original place where healing happened in human cultures. Um, you could say that it, it's been fooling people or trying to trick people, um, and that is a word that get, that gets used a lot. Yeah. Or you could say that these traditions and practitioners have actually been, um, without, without being, to exp- being able to explain it in scientific terms, before we could explain it in scientific terms, have been tapping into this very sophisticated intelligence about how our brains and bodies yes. function, how, fe- how healing happens. Yes. I love, I like magicians, and so I like to be fooled. But yeah, I think the way you said it was probably, uh, most people would probably find that a lot easier to accept and probably wouldn't have as much stigma around it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I've gotten, after working on this book, I've gotten comfortable with the idea of being fooled, and I like that word now, and being you gullible. Do? I do now. Uh, but no, you're right. The way you put it is absolutely right. You are actually tapping into uh, internal drugs that you have that are like targeted and much more powerful than, uh, than the ones that, uh, that you inject. And... Um, and there are a lot of, there's some great stories of doctors who are trying to harness that in a very real way for like uh, veterans with lost limbs and a lot of different interesting um, dramatic results you can get from tapping into those drugs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this was a sentence from you, but it may have been a sentence because uh, I, I was looking up, I was trying to refresh what I knew about Christian science. But the sentence is, Christian science taught that fear impeded the body's ability to heal. 
Oh, maybe I was paraphrasing. And it practiced believing and being healed and whole as a way to make that real. But I mean, that yeah, belief that fear right. impeded the body's ability to be to heal is actually empirically true. Yes. Right. Yeah. No, now we is, know and can look at brains and yeah. say that no, that you, is empirically you, true. You can definitely see the the power that fear has an expectation. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think psychologists would call it expectation or expectancies. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the problem is, is it's hard to study ethically, you know, because you can't go tinkering around with people's fear. Um, and yeah. it's just not, it's not right because it's powerful, because you could kill people, you know, with that. I have not found an actual case of someone dying strictly because of fear or a lie that was told to them, but there's plenty of, uh, there's, I, I couldn't document, I couldn't find document case, but I found plenty of, I get, I have a whole section on witch doctors and curses and stuff like that. And, and there's, there's a lot of, um, uh, uh, I've heard a lot of stories about them and people who I couldn't track down um, who supposedly died because they were told that they had something terrible. Uh, and um, that is, I think, I don't know if it can kill you, but it can certainly put you down that road. And I, th- I think it's very dangerous. Fear can be a very dangerous um, uh, part of, of, uh, of, um, of uh, um, healing. Like if you, if, you're, if you get too much of it, I think it really... It's hard to even gauge, but it's very hard to study. Like I said, any questions mm-hmm. we have about it are very hard to study because it's not ethical. Yeah. <laughs> Just come up with a few experiments in your head, and you're, none of them are okay to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And I, I should also say, you know, since I'm here on the Pulitzer Center, um, I mean, like, so the Pulitzer Center gives money to people to go and do these kinds of this reporting. Like, you know, and without people giving me money to, like, go to China and have someone stick a bunch of needles in me or, you know, Go into the you know, jungles of Mexico. Like it's very hard to, you know, having that kind of. So I just want to give a quick plug to the Pulitzer Center for for allowing me to do all this kind of stuff and put these things in perspective because it's very hard to do this as a journalist now. Um, so uh, so yeah. Before I forgot, I want to make sure I mention yep. that. So uh, Liliana Maria Percy Ruiz, uh, the executive producer of On Being, is going to facilitate the. Yes, just read some questions from all of you. And the first question is. For Eric, can you talk a little bit about why the placebo effect wears off? What's actually happening in the brain? This person says that they once had acupuncture for pain with amazing results, but the effects wore off after a few weeks, and subsequent acupuncture treatments had zero effect on the pain. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that is a great question. Um, so uh, in the case of acupuncture, let's assume it's pain. Again, the, the thing is most often studied is pain. Um, uh you have to reset the way um, the brain actually perceives pain and, and simply sort of having a placebo rush of endorphins, which is what we're talking about. These are endogenous opioids, but the other word for them is endorphins, um, is, is not resetting the brain. It's, it's getting a rush of endorphins. And so um, your brain has expectations. Uh, and I think it's, this is also different for everybody, so it's very hard to answer that question because some people can have a much longer placebo effect than others. Some people don't have any placebo effect. But um, but resetting the brain is not easy. That's what we're talking about if, if it's chronic pain. Um, so uh, it does the original, if it's, a, if it's, let's say it's a, let's say it's a stomach pain and there's something going on in your stomach, like that will surface out again. Like that, 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 that mechanism will come out again. And even if it's just a, a mental pain, like, uh, like, um, fibromyalgia or something like that, like that will reassert itself and to actually reset and make that pain go away. It seems to be a much longer process. And we don't really understand that. And we also don't understand different people, how they respond to that. This next question is tied to that a little bit, which is 
Do you have a hack or an easy way for people to teach themselves to tap into their brain? This is like, where we get to talk about hypnosis. Oh, my God. Hypnosis is amazing. Okay. So this is the most fascinating thing that you are so big. That hypnosis to you is a way to channel this stuff. Well, hypnosis, the, what's interesting about hypnosis, it's actually not placebo because you can give people this, this drug that, 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 uh, that makes placebo effects go away and the hypnosis still works. So it's definitely other mechanisms that are involved and uh, why it hasn't been studied more, like we've been, you know, doctors have been doing it since the mid 1800s uh, and it got a bad rap um, uh, for a bunch of different interesting reasons which you can read about. Uh, but um, uh, it, it, like I, I always point to to, uh, to Bram Stoker's Dracula, if, if you look at the difference between when the book was written and when the first movie came out, uh, when the book was written, the good guys did hypnosis, and that's how they found Dracula. By the time the movie came out, it was the bad guy who was doing hypnosis. Uh, so it got a bad rap, but it is an incredible... Like, but the problem is, is it, it doesn't work on everyone. Like, mm -hmm. You have to be hypnotizable, and mm -hmm. there's some, certain people who are not very hypnotizable. So you said it's a talent to be hypnotizable. It's a talent, and I don't have it. And like, I, when I tried to get hypnotized a few times, and like, I was like, am I hypnotized? I think I'm hypnotized. Oh, I'm hypnotized. No, I'm not hypnotized. Oh, wait. Yeah, now I am. No. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that doesn't work. So I'm low on the scale, so I don't really have that tool available to me. Mm -hmm. um, but that, so that's a great hack. I don't know if it's a hack. Um, all the hacks that, you ha uh, that there are vary from one person to the next. And um, I always say, throw yourself all the way, like alternative medicine, throw yourself all the way in, but leave like one foot out. Like, you know, and, and for pain, for stomach issues, all those things, try a bunch of different, because the storytelling is important. So, you know, maybe homeopathy story doesn't resonate like uh, acupuncture story, but don't let someone tell you you know, not to go to a doctor, especially if it's a serious disease, because there are mm -hmm. people who will so do So that's this. what you mean by keep one foot keep out. one foot out, okay. you know, and, and don't, you know, don't put your life in jeopardy. But yeah, the hack would be look for stories that resonate for you. And, and if you kind of think it might be a placebo, that doesn't mean it won't work. Like you can give people placebo pills and say, these are placebo pills, and they will still work because a lot, there's a whole, this, a lot of this is unconscious and you can't help it. Um, I will say, so reading my book also will not, hurt you from getting a placebo effect? <laughs> Buying my book won't affect that. Writing my book might. <laughs> that might, but um, yeah, I, if you guys, hypnosis is another one, like it's not a placebo, it's just, we just don't know enough what it is. And, and that's like, if you guys haven't tried that, find out if you're hypnotizable. If you are, you got a whole bunch of tools to play with. <laughs> This next question um, came up a couple of times and in a few different ways. So are there any studies comparing healing rates between religious believers versus atheists? And then a similar question around positive people versus cynical people. Yeah, unfortunately, um, there have been many efforts to figure out who the placebo people are. And these efforts have varied from uh, personality type to age to gender to race uh, to anything you can think of, and they've never found a correlation that sticks. They've claimed they found them, and then they disappear. There are no... I mean, we all kind of know people who, like, you think would fit. Like, oh, that's, a, that's someone who responds. But it doesn't... In, in, when you get a bunch of people together and you do scientific work, it doesn't seem to work. The one thing that seems to be the um, exception to that is genetics. There's a few genes that may be related to, uh, certainly with pain, because again, easy to study, um, 
Uh, and it, it would make sense that there are a few other conditions where the placebo rate there's there's some researchers who are trying to compile all the genes related to placebos right now at, at, at Harvard mm-hmm. and um, and it uh, it uh, and that would that would start to to be a map of who is susceptible right well the idea would be that if you could put them all together because some of them cancel each other out and they so if you yeah. have one that's aiding the placebo and one that's hurting the placebo and you have both of them like they would like but it would depend on where they enacted because right. one would be the surface of the receptor and another one would be further down the line. So these things get real complicated real fast. Um, but uh, the long story short is some of these are also related to behavioral changes. So COMPT is the famous one, the warrior-warrior gene. And one of the, the genetic type, the MET-METs, tend to have placebo effects, and it's pretty well demonstrated. And they tend to have... A certain personality, which so you're not measuring. So when you take personality, you like group people by personality, they don't match up with placebos. But when you take the genetics and you match them up with placebos, they also have certain personality traits to them that have been well studied. If you guys want to read about the warrior, warrior, comp thing, like that's been done for many years. So that would be one reason why certain people seem to be that kind of person, mm-hmm. like that, that optimistic kind of person. But if you just look at personality, it doesn't work. And if you just look at gender, it doesn't work. But you can imagine these horrible doctors and scientists would be like, oh, you know, women are having this. this is, that's, that's the, and, and it's always the, the problem of like, who's messing up our trials? That's why they did this research <laughs> historically. It's like, who's making the placebo rate so high? And, and there, are, uh. there are no ways to, to connect that except now with, with genetics. It's the only one. Huh. Maybe. <laughs> so last question for you. Knowing how complicated... And uh, the ne- how negative the connotation around placebo, the actual word, has kind of become. Have you thought about other language you might use instead of placebo? No, uh, I just want to make placebo um, more palatable. I think I just because you know it's it's got a definition. I think we can all sort of starting people starting to accept it a little bit more. Uh, I think coming up with a new word um, just makes things harder. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I had a placebo effect. I'm pretty psyched about it. You know, <laughs> like that kind of a that kind of a thing where where you yeah. But okay, but let's say this. If you can go with another word, I'm, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Well, I don't. But I. But if you were, if somebody didn't know what the word placebo meant and had never heard it, a Martian say, what what words would you use to say what you're saying? I bet Martians have them too. I bet <laughs> babies have no, them. No, I'm not going to let you Animals have the placebo effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I well, the thing is, is I'm interested in sort of this brain chemistry aspect, but there's a lot of other aspects to placebos, and yes. one of them is simply statistical. Like you, you tend to take a pill when you're feeling your worst, and what comes after feeling your worst? Not worst. You know, less worse. So, and that's called regression to the mean. Uh, and so, like, there are many different aspects of placebos that it's not just the brain chemistry. Um, it's mm. there's a lot. It's also wanting to please people. Like that is a real thing. You want to please your doctor. So you get better. So you get better. Is like, that why I always feel better? I mean, literally, the day I, when I finally make the appointment to go to the doctor. Yeah, you always I start going getting better. Like, oh, I, is that? I mean, yeah, is that what yeah, this is no, about? Uh, that unfortunately, these things are are a lot harder to study than you than you think. When you start like thinking like, why hasn't that been studied? And then people give you all the reasons why. Yeah. Most of it's money, um, but uh, um, yeah, I think uh, it's a it's a really it's a really good point. But I think that um, that placebo is a word that I'm interacting with on social media. Yeah, people are 
becoming more comfortable with it. So mm-hmm. I think, and people get mystical about it. They're like, you know, the blessed placebo, they think, but it's okay as long as we're using the Maybe, same word. Yeah. Maybe that's it. If we just start adding nice adjectives, yeah. nice, yeah, the mystical, ancient, you know, <laughs> like just start tossing. My yeah. favorite, my favorite story. If you just get a chance to like Google some of the work I've done, uh, I did something for Undark about this this wrist thing that makes your pain go away, and it was tapping into space age ancient mystical powers, which I was like, yes, hit both sides. <laughs> like, why not? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if whatever story like resonates with you, yeah. that's that's the way to go. So. Um, yeah, kind of to the theme of this Pulitzer conference. Um, you know, you you've ended up um, as a you're kind of straddling at least with this work, not mm-hmm. with all your reporting, but with some of your reporting, both the fields of science and religion. Mm-hmm. And m- my observation is that that there is a renewed, excited curiosity and interest in both of these fields. Um, I'm and glad so, to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I mean that I I see that mm-hmm. at least where I'm looking. Um so you're in these like you've got one foot in two hot areas. How does that feel? <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't observed that? Uh I I mean I think science um I think science is is obviously having uh, I mean you just did a thing on climate. Um mm-hmm. science is is definitely having a, a bit of a crisis in terms of 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 getting people um to just, <laughs> ironically, to have faith in it, uh, and I and I do think that because uh, I mean a lot of this. Let's be honest, like you know, I, I I've, I've read through a lot of these papers, but you know, after a long, it takes a long time for me to like have faith in something that I've read and in the science is like, okay, this mm-hmm. is legitimate work. Um, but I can't imagine, you know, but we need to do that without reading all those papers, mm-hmm. and and I think a lot of people aren't willing to do that, and so it's very. It can be hard from my perspective as a science writer, but from but I would like to think that yes, there would be a renewed and also a bringing together of those two ideas and understanding mm-hmm. that they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're too dogmatic in either, they are no question. But if you're willing to 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 open up your mind and, and have a little fun, um, and a lot of the scientists I, I talk to do, yeah, I think there's um, there's definitely the opportunity for that, and I'm glad to hear that you're seeing it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not the dynamic that gets all the coverage. Yeah. And the dynamic that gets all the coverage is not necessarily about most people, right? That's, I mean, that's how I see it. So I think below that shrill dogmatic surface, whether it's dogmatic yeah. science or dogmatic religion, Twitter wars. there's all the rest of us. Yeah. No. And I, uh, and as a journalist, you know, I do, I am sort of looking at the shining sparkly thing and they're like, Oh, people are yelling at each other. Um, but yeah, also that's tapping into your, the fear part of, right. Right. That's actually tapping into our fear, which as you know, better than anybody else is more powerful than anything else. So why not? It will also sell newspapers. I mean, I'm immune to it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, and, and, uh, from your perspective, you know, talking to getting it, that, that sense of the, the average person, I, I, I would love to think that yes, people are willing to look at these things and keep an open mind and and bring those two ideas a, a renewed excitement about both those things mm-hmm. and understanding and empathy like all this stuff comes back just understanding that people are not crazy and this person you're talking to is right you know like from mm-hmm. their perspective they're right they're doing the right thing it just may not be you know you just have to might, might have to do some gymnastics to to see it yeah even what you're saying there is I think you're imagining saying it to 
rational scientific people about religious people, but honestly, there's the same need in both directions right now. How is that? Yeah, I guess. You really? Yeah, you flip it the other way too. This person is. There's these are such important aspects of the human enterprise. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like you know, my my, uh, you know. Growing up, doctors were—I don't want to say the enemy, but let's say the enemy. Like that, yeah. it was a very Christian Science might object to that, and so I want to be careful. But like, it's—it's um, it's very hard to have a neutral position on doctors as a Christian Scientist, and um, and now you know, like. Uh, I understand, and I think that's the answer. The empathy goes both ways. You need to understand, like, these people are healing people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, doctors also probably need to understand that these other people are also healing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely see the other way. I don't think, you know, that, that scientists have it all wrapped up by yeah. any means. Um, you, I mean, you actually end your book with, with a little bit here, a little bit sad that these two worlds that you've been. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that they don't engage with each other and illuminating each other. And I, I think you use beautiful language. You say, um, or that there's this feeling that you have to choose between the two, which is a false choice. Um, you say, uh, and I mean, I love the way you open that up. And you, 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 know, so you say the human mind is an elaborate, ever-changing human palace and that it has all these secret passageways we have yet to comprehend and we really don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's, this is not easy stuff to understand. Um, this is, and, 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 and this, a, it's not easy stuff. B, um, I could, you, anyone in this room could probably come up with a really good study that no one's done. Um, like it's just there hasn't been funding for it. Um, and it was hard. I was hoping at the end to sort of bring my... You know, I sat down with a Christian science practitioner and, and it was trying to bring my childhood together with sort of my, my quote-unquote rational, you know, scientific uh, reporter life. And um, I, I don't know that I did. And I, I feel like there's certain things that leaps that people aren't willing to make. And um, But I do think that there's so much opportunity, like you said, and, and, and the brain and the mind, however you want to call it, is... Uh, is a fascinating, vastly confusing place, and um, it's so big that th- th- we're just scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. And with this particularly, because placebo has spent so much time in the doghouse as being this sort of you know hippy dippy thing, that we're only recently starting to be able to have the tools to actually look at these things. We're gonna we're gonna see a whole new picture of the brain in the next generation. I mean, the placebo is the natural thing, right? It's, I mean, you yeah, could just call it natural healing, or that yeah. sounds like a methodology, but just... Yeah. Um, you, you your could, body's you could, ability to heal itself. You could rephrase uh, Hippocrates, <laughs> uh, you know, the Hippocratic Oath to basically be, um, let the placebo effect happen. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you could just, yeah. you know, just... Because that was yeah. his whole thing, was like, look, you know, let's not, like cut you into pieces or like sacrifice, you know, goats to the, to, to the God of war. Like, let's just, let's just, uh, let's just see if this takes care of itself. But he didn't know the placebo was, but he certainly understood and he watched it and he knew that, you know, do no harm was basically, um, lay down for a while. Let's see if this, if the placebo effect takes care of it. Do you, um, does the language, you know, in, in, in your work, the, the mind body language appears a lot and, um, and and I think the mind, body, spirit is implied in there. I mean, you can define spirit in mm-hmm. so many ways. One of the things, uh, it seems, I, I, I have this theory that, you know, 100 years from now, um, people will look back and th- see how we used that phrase yeah. and think it's like people talking about four humors in the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, does that is there is there a distinction for you now? It's, is no, that, it's, a is false, it a, it's, it's a false dichotomy. Um, the mind, there's no mind body uh, unless you want to be like mind body stomach, because the stomach is like almost like it has almost as many nerve endings as the as the brain. Yeah, you know, like it's your second brain. So like, let's not cut the stomach out of this. Like, stomach's also like no, it's your whole body. Like the the yeah. body is the body. You know, and the mind is a, is a part the of brain that. Is, yeah. It's just you know, it's just the part you really don't want to shut off. You know, like it's a part that your body really doesn't want to get hurt. But like other than that, it's just you know, this is a, this is there's separating the mind from the body is really pointless. The whole thing. I mean, you look at dopamine, right? Which yeah. affects Parkinson's. It affects reward. It also affects digestion and movement. Like a lot of the, your brain's functions. It's doing double duty. These things are, you know, this is not like oh, we're in brain town now. Right. This is this is your whole body working together. And so trying to break it apart, it's just it's just something we've sort of constructed. But no, this is going to be uh, something that's going to, and it is going away. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, just to illustrate that, one of the ways you described how placebo placebo happens, which I, I didn't completely, I had trouble visualizing it, but that that there's it goes backwards. Oh yeah, right. So because this <laughs> this illustrates this. That yes. So uh, so the, just really quickly, uh, if you can imagine burning your hand on a stove, um, and and you um, and then you put your hand in like ice cold water, that sensation would go up your arm, up to the back, you know, the back of your brain, go through sort of the. I hate to use this, but the lizard part of your brain that, you know, up to the thalamus, into the hippocampus, uh, the anterior cortex, excuse me, uh, into the, um, the front part of your brain, you know, the, the prefrontal cortex. And, uh, and you'd say, oh, God, that feels so good. I'm just going to leave this in here for a while. Um, a placebo effect does a lot of the same things, but it starts in the prefrontal cortex and goes backwards. And it works its way backwards to those other parts, to, to getting to the fear parts and everything later and releasing chemicals as it goes. So this is where you have a belief. Right. Or an it expectation. Front, and it works its way And back. then it goes, and then your, and your hand gets better. Right, right. Right. And, and so. they've also sort of teased apart the unconscious versus the conscious, which aren't exactly the same pathways or different pathways. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we're learning a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. How do you think you walk through your days differently or parent differently? because of these things you know? Uh, I have a whole different perspective. I have a little three-year-old, and when he falls down and goes boom, and I kiss it and make it better, like, that's a whole different thing now. <laughs> it's like I'm releasing some serious chemicals, and uh, I'm a lot more comfortable lying to my child. Um, other than that, I mean, I try to lie to myself as much as is healthy. <laughs> you know? I mean, uh, I know that the fizzy drink that makes my cold go away doesn't really work but if it's fizzy it 100 i'll i'll buy it like anything fizzy i you tell me this is fizzy and it you know it'll turn your hair green like i'll believe you fizzy drinks are magic so i you know when i'm feeling not good i i, I drink a lot of fizzy drinks uh-huh. uh i will 100 look for my own hacks and try to figure out how this works and i also you know i also this is giving me a lot more empathy for for people who um who would otherwise like oh you're such a fool like you, whatever your thought is that I don't agree with makes you you know worthless like that that idea at least you know it always comes back up because I'm human but um, that I mean this helps you sort of get past that and understand that people's reality is really their reality it's not this is not their imagination mm-hmm. that's really what's happening um, so this is a huge question and you don't have to answer it but I just want to start thinking it through in front of all of us, um, the question of, of what it means to be human and how you, know, how you might start to answer that differently after all this research you've done and this 
this place you've gone um, in your mind and in your experience? Wow, you're asking me. Uh, um, I feel like I'm massively unequipped to answer that question, but I do think that there is this unifying thing about belief and belief affecting your body that is universal and it really is who we are and um there is no getting away from it like this idea that somehow you're too clever for belief to completely change your reality you know as soon as you think that you are running you, you are setting yourself up for problems if you think you're above this somehow or that rationality has gotten you someplace where other people aren't uh, this is something we all do and 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 we all look for patterns and we look for things that make sense and when we find those things we are susceptible to um to changes in 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 our certainly in our body and also in our reality um i i think that you know it gets back to that idea about the you know making predictions. That's what our brain does, and those predictions, they they create this tapestry of of reality and expectations, and the, w- the way we see everything fitting together that is just as flawed and amazing as the person next to you. And so I think that's what we're talking about is this tapestry of the the map that we've created about the world um, that is not accurate, but it's kind of awesome, and we all have one. Uh, and and that's just being human. Like that's just who we are. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Eric Vance and Pulitzer Center, and thanks all of you for coming. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was fun.